Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. You know that the fact that he's, it says that he's our ever-present help in time of need means that there will be time of need. The fact that one of the names of the Holy Spirit is comforter means that there's times that we'll need comfort. All the, all the names, all the descriptions, all the verses in the Word, they're not just there to make the Bible that much longer. They're because there would be a time in our lives where every one of them is, is necessary and needful for us to live the life He's called us to live. Um, we're, we're <clears throat> as a family, my wife's family and I, um, are going through one of those times right now. And um, for those of you guys who didn't hear, I'm sure most of you have already, but um, my father-in-law, Larry, who's one of the elders here at Outreach Church, has been here from the beginning of the church. And has been just a, a solid, stable uh, presence and voice from the beginning all the way through, consistent, stable, solid, steadfast. He's one of the first faces you see when you pull into the parking lot. Um, he, he had cardiac arrest on Tuesday morning, and um, my mother-in-law, Gladdy, was as you can imagine, administering CPR <laughs> and probably a lot of other things. <laughs> um, I would imagine that the fire department heard her before the call came. Um, and they, the, 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 the EMTs got there and uh, he had a pulse and they were able to, to shock his heart into, into beating and brought him straight to the hospital. And he's been there since early Tuesday morning. Um, They've had him sedated. Uh, they kept his body temperature really cool to allow as much oxygen, you know, to perf perfuse into the brain, and also to to just slow down anything that was happening, so that he could just fully rest and relaxed. And um, and they've kind of been keeping him there for a while. And I guess I just heard this morning that they're going to do an MRI today. And so um, the initial CT scans came back clear. They didn't see any obvious problems. Um, and so we're just believing. Yeah, we're believing that see this i know like his life is in god's hands and and jesus said all that them that you've given me that no one can take them from my hand and so like i trust the lord we trust the lord we trust god with his life and we thank you guys so much for all the prayers um for the text for the food for just coming up to the hospital and hanging out and visiting um, I know it means a lot to the family, it means a lot to me, um, and it really means a lot as, as the pastor of this church to see that we actually believe what we say. Like, it's one thing to say, oh, I trust God when everything's going good. Everybody trusts God when everything's going good. It, it, that, like, it's not hard, but in the times where you walk through the trials that Jesus said would come, like he said, the storm is coming. It, it comes to the wise man, it comes to the good man, and it comes to the foolish man, it comes to the unwise man. Like following Jesus doesn't remove us from the storm. Following Jesus doesn't guarantee us the storm bypasses our house. It just means that when the storm's gone, there's something left standing. And it's what was built on the foundation of Jesus before the storm came that is standing after the storm leaves. And so to see our church family and, and to watch everybody just respond in faith and respond in belief and to, to not be in denial of what is happening in the physical, but also to not be in denial of the promises of God that we're standing on in the face of it. And to say, I know that that might be true, but there's a greater truth and that's what we're believing and standing on. It's amazing to see and I'm so thankful um, that, that, that I get to, to witness that happen. It's, it's encouraging to me um, because the truth is, is that it's, 
when the storm comes and everything gets smashed that wasn't built on Jesus, that everybody can see what was built on Jesus. You know, I, I don't know why I keep saying this every week, but I'm just, I almost feel like I've started every message with this, but during good times, during easy times, during times of, of prosperity and, and peace and ease and comfort, when everything is going well, you can look around and you can't tell what is built on what. Every house looks like it's built on the rock. Every house looks like it's built on a solid foundation during the good time, during the easy time, during the time of peace and calm. Every house looks like it's built on the rock. Every house looks like it has a solid foundation. But when the storm comes and reveals what the house was built on, see, that's the thing. The storm doesn't, the, the, doesn't cause the foundation. The storm reveals the foundation. The foundation was there before the storm came. All the storm does is just reveal what the foundation was built on. And after the storm comes... That's when it's easy to see what was built on Jesus and what wasn't. And guys, our lives have to be built on him. They have to be, for our sakes, yes, because there's no way that we can live the life he's called to live if our life is built on anything other than Jesus. But for the sake of the world around us, so that after the storm, when people come climbing out of the debris and the rubble and everything that they built their life on has been completely destroyed because it was built on something other than him, during those times, they need to be able to look and see a house that's still standing. They don't need to see the people next to them that had a Jesus bumper sticker and a Jesus doormat and a Jesus sign on their wall during the good times that their house looks the same is my house because if their house looks like my house then what they had was only as good as what I had why would I want something from them but when our lives are built on him it's during those times when people come climbing out of the rubble they look and they see something and they know what happened in their life and they know the things that you've been through they've watched you go through the very things that they've gone through but yet they see something different about your life that's when it's easy to share Jesus with them because you actually have something that they want. You're not trying to, to give them what they already have. You have something that they want in those moments. I'm telling you, I just feel like our world is coming into a time where a lot of things are being shaken, where things are collapsing, where things that people have built their lives on are being destroyed. And I promise you, for our sake, yes, like build, make sure, like examine your foundation and make sure that what your life is built on is Jesus. But for the sake of the world around us, like, we owe it to the world to be who Jesus has died for us to become. It does nothing for the world if our lives are just as up and down and just as easily destroyed as theirs if, if we're claiming to be built on Jesus. Like, we have to actually have our life anchored in him, rooted and grounded in truth. You know, it's like, like, like when, when, when the word says that those who, whose trust is in the Lord, they will be like a tree planted by the streams whose roots go down deep, who bear fruit in and out of season, and who, though they go through drought, their leaves stay green. What's that saying? saying, listen, during the rainy season, everybody's trees have green leaves. When it's raining out, when everything is coming from the external, when, when everything outside, when circumstances are good, every tree looks good. Every tree looks like it has a good root system. Like it's easy to have green leaves during those times because everything that you need is coming from the external. But it says during a season of drought, those who are planted in the Lord will have green leaves. Why? Because their roots are down deep into a stream, into a source that isn't coming from the external. It's what their roots are planted in. It's the water that flows through them and in them. It's Jesus inside of us that when everything else is drying up and circumstances dry up, it's real easy to see pretty quickly who had a root system that was deeper than just the surface when you go through a season of drought. 
Because as soon as the external stops, as soon as the rain stops, as soon as the thing that's keeping everybody doing good goes away, only one thing remains. And all of a sudden you can look and see, oh, wait a minute. They're going through the same drought that I am, but why aren't they dried up? Why are they burnt out? Not burnt out. Why are their leaves not falling? Why isn't everything stripped away? What do they have that I don't? Guys, we have to be those people. Like first and foremost for us and our families, but, but for the world. Like we're not here for us. Our lives don't, are just to, so that I can have a good looking tree. Like, it, it, no, it's so that like, people can come find shelter and shade under what Jesus has done in my life so that they can get planted in the same source so they can become that for others. And, and I, just, I, I just feel this so strongly that, that we're in a season right now where the Lord is just saying, like, make sure that everything in your life is rooted and grounded in me because if it's not, then what good will it be? What good would it be if, if my house was built on sand and I stood out in front of my house every day talking about the need for a solid foundation? Standing out in front of my house just telling everybody, guys, listen, like, you know, that you need to have a solid foundation. Make sure your house isn't built on sand. And I knew all about how to build a foundation. I knew all about the right way to do it. And I could tell everybody else about the right way to do it, but it wasn't my own life. Like, I, I, my life wasn't planted and rooted and grounded in Jesus, but yet I'm telling people all about it. Well, when there's no storm, everybody looks and thinks, wow, that's pretty amazing. But when a storm comes, and my house collapses just as fast as the others, I don't have a whole lot of credibility anymore. I don't have a whole lot of credibility if, if I collapse and crash when a storm comes, just like the person who says there is no God. But you let the storm pass and you're standing there. You might have a loose shingle. You know, maybe some of the mulch got washed out in the driveway. But your house is still standing. Your life is still standing. You're standing in the middle of it. Like, you know one thing I love? I love talking to, to Bob and Nancy Goad. You know why? Because they're saying the same things before Bob got diagnosed with cancer that they said in the middle of him getting diagnosed with cancer that they've said now that the cancer is gone and his doctor says that he's clear. Nothing changed. It, 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 nothing changed. Like before it was, it was we know the one that we trust. During it was we know the one that we trust. After it's we know the one that we trust. Nothing changed. Like their house looked the same before and after the storm. And it's not because of Bob and Nancy. It's because of the one that they're anchored to and who they've built their life on. And I'm not saying to like to exalt them. I'm saying to exalt Jesus because on their own they're collapsing in the fetal position and, and, and living in fear. But they're built on something that is greater than what they're facing. Come on, we need that, you guys. We need that. Open up your Bibles. I want to preach on that a little bit. Because Jesus said this to his disciples. In John 14, um, chapter 14, verse 7, he says, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. Just, just think about this. Jesus is telling them that, he says, I came to, to show you the Father. He says, 
if you would have known me, you would have known my father. Like, I'm not just me. You don't just know me. You know my father through me because I came to reveal him. Like, don't separate me from the Father. Don't have an idea that, you know, well, God's the mean, angry, distant one, and Jesus is the nice, cuddly one that really is caring, and the Holy Spirit is the weird one. Like, no, that, that's, that's, that's a weird theology. Like, they, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Like, like, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are one. And Jesus said, listen, I came because everybody had these weird ideas, and people had mixed up visions of who the Father was and what he was like. So I came, according to Hebrews, he is the embodiment and the exact representation of the nature of God. Jesus said, I came to set the record straight. I came so that if you saw me, you'd see the Father, so that you would know what the Father is like through my life lived and, and his love revealed through me. That's one of the primary reasons that Jesus came. And so if our theology doesn't line up with the life and the revelation of Jesus, then there's something that we don't know or understand. But what we can't do is give up what we have right in front of us, plain as day in the life of Jesus, for something that we can't understand about things. Maybe in, in, with the Old Testament, it's like, well, well, God seemed so angry back then. God was angry towards sin back then. He hates sin. He still hates sin. The difference is now in the new covenant, there is no longer a problem that sin is separating and making people the enemy of God. Now, he, through Christ, he has reconciled the world to himself, no longer counting their sins against them. You realize that on God's end, Jesus came and destroyed the problem of sin that was separating humanity from God forever, once for all time. What could not be done by the blood of bulls and goats, he did once and for all through the blood of his son, Jesus and so if our theology pulls from something that happened before Jesus died that doesn't continue after Jesus was resurrected, then there's something wrong with our theology. We have to understand what was, what was pre-cross, what was during the life of Jesus, and what was after the life of Jesus. And the things that were before that didn't make it to after are not the things that we build our theology on. Three people agree with me. By the end of the message, maybe four. So Jesus, Jesus tells his disciples this, and, and then later he would tell them, as the Father sent me into the world, so also do I send you. He says, look, I, I came to show you what the Father was like so that people, you, I could say to you, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And now the same way the Father sent me into the world, I'm sending you. And he realizes that, like, this is completely impossible. It's not possible for a human being to display what God is like on their own. So then he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. So now they're, they're born again. The Spirit of God has come back inside. The very thing that was lost in the garden when Adam ate the fruit. When God said, hey, the day that you eat of it, Adam, is the day that you die. Adam eats of it, but he doesn't drop dead. What died? The image of God that he was carrying was lost. And he traded that glory for another glory. And so God, Jesus, is now restore, seeking and saving that which was lost, not those who were lost, that which was lost, what was lost, the ability of man to demonstrate and to represent God, to carry the divine nature inside of them and to display the divine image that was lost when man sinned and traded the glory of God for a glory that was not glory at all. And now he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. So now they're filled with the Spirit of God. They've been regenerated. They're no longer who they were. New life has come. New creation has begun inside 
inside of them. But then he says to them, a few days later, go to Jerusalem and wait there. And the Holy Spirit will come. And don't leave until he does, because when he does, he'll come upon you and he'll anoint you to be my witnesses. Well, everybody has the Holy Spirit if they're born again. Absolutely, you cannot be born again apart from the Spirit of God coming back inside and regenerating that which was dead. But Jesus said, listen, I'm breathing on you that breath, that very first breath that God breathed into Adam when something that was dead stood up and became alive and took on the image of the one who breathed into him. Jesus is now doing that to the disciples. He breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And that spirit comes back inside of them. And that regeneration, that new birth, that new life, that born again, new creation happens right then for the very first time. But then he says, but I'm just telling you, the life that I've called you to is completely impossible unless the Spirit of God comes upon you. And I'm sending you out into the world. I'm sending you out the same way the Father sent me out. And I've told you to go and, and heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out demons and preach the gospel of the kingdom. This is what Jesus told his disciples to do. He said, but, but before you do any of that, there's something that needs to happen. You need to be anointed by the Spirit of God the same way that Jesus was anointed by the Spirit of God so that he could actually live the life that he was called to live because apart from that, it is utterly impossible to live the life that Jesus called us to live. If that messes with your theology, it's in the Bible. And I'm not going to go through the whole teaching of how it happens because we've made formulas out of things. We, we, we are so good at making formulas. We're so good at that. Why? Because we want a formula rather than a relationship. We want something that makes sense and that we can put into a little box and hand to somebody rather than leading them to the one who really doesn't make sense and handing them to him. There's, there's a theology that, well, okay, so then what we do is we go into a room and we pray and we don't leave until he comes and we'll know that he comes because we'll begin, to, we'll begin to speak in other tongues. The problem with that is if you go through the Bible, you'll see that there were people who were filled with the Spirit and prophesied, filled with the Spirit and filled with great boldness, filled with the Spirit and filled with great joy, people who filled with the Spirit and spoke in other tongues, and, and people there interpreted and could, a man could understand what they were saying, which is different than praying in the Spirit. When I pray in the Spirit, I utter mysteries that no man understands. There's a difference between a word given in tongues that's interpreted by man and a prayer and praying in the spirit that Paul instructs every one of us and says for all of us to pray in the spirit building ourselves up in our most holy faith by praying in the spirit and so there you can find people who they didn't even hadn't even been baptized yet and yet the spirit of God comes upon them they begin to speak in other tongues and glorify the Lord and they say what's stopping them from being baptized now that they've received the Holy Spirit nothing so then they get baptized into Jesus but they've already been filled with the spirit how's that fit in the box And then there's people who didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit that are walking along and they, they see, they, Paul sees them and, and he says, and they were disciples, they were believers. And he goes to them, he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? We didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. It's a good thing that people answered that question that way thousands of years ago, but that nobody would answer that question today. So he says, well, then what were you baptized into? John's baptism. Oh, John's was a baptism of repentance. And so he baptized them 
into Jesus. And they received the Holy Spirit when he laid hands on them. But then there's another time where some of the disciples are down preaching the gospel of Jesus. And it says that many believed and, and were baptized into Christ, but they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. So you're telling me that the Holy Spirit came before people were baptized, the Holy Spirit came when people were rebaptized, and the Holy Spirit hadn't come when people were baptized. You know, that, I, that's what the Bible says. And so two of the disciples went down and laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit by the laying on of their hands. Well, then let's make a formula out of that. You have to have someone lay hands on you to receive the Holy Spirit. What about the people that nobody laid hands on? There's one common denominator, though. Every single one of them received the Holy Spirit, and there was a manifestation that you could see where their life was no longer the same, and they began to move in something they hadn't moved in before, whether that was boldly proclaiming the word of God, whether that was speaking in other tongues, whether that was prophesying, whether that was the joy that filled their life. There was something that happened that marked their life, and they could tell there's something different about these people. They've received something they didn't have before. And I don't, even, I don't even want to, that's not even the message for today. If you, if you need that, you can go back and find that, that whole message. I go through the entire New Testament. Every single time it talks about people being filled with the Spirit. And there is one formula, though, that Jesus mentioned. One and only one. He said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts, how much more your heavenly Father, the Holy Spirit, if you would just ask. But if we don't have a need for him, we're probably not asking. And if we don't have a need, it's because we don't understand what we've been called to. And we've reduced Christianity to something that is naturally possible. I know you, you can't be saved by human means. And everybody that is following the Bible would say that, you know, well, there's nothing that you can do naturally to be saved, to be born again. That, that is completely true. But it doesn't stop there. There is nothing you can do the next day that is humanly possible to fulfill what Jesus has called us to. It is zero possibility of living the life that he's called us to apart from the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon us and, and empowering us to live the way he's called us to live. And so Jesus knows this. So he says to the disciples, he says, listen, as if, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then he tells them a little bit later, he says, listen, as the Father sent me into the world, so am I sending you. Go. And, and, and yet he, he tells them, but don't go until this happens because the, what you're going to encounter when you walk out into the world is going to be absolutely necessary that you are anointed with the same spirit that I was anointed with because I'm calling you to something that's impossible apart from that. And if we don't have that, for ourselves, will we be reduced to living off of that through the life of somebody else. And that doesn't last. And I, I just, I, 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 all week, I actually was talking to Zach about it about three weeks ago that I felt this word rolling in me and, and I felt the Lord speaking about it and I've been waiting to preach it, but I just want to, I want to show you something through the Old Testament that I think is really relevant to where we are today. Because here's the thing. Like, whether we realize it or not, we're showing the world what Jesus is like. When we call ourselves Christians, when we say that we are the church, when we say that we are the body of Christ, the embodiment of Christ on the earth, 
when people see our lives, they're making a decision about what God is like based on our lives because we are the ones they're looking to when we claim to be following Jesus to see what, Jesus, to see what God is like. And, and, and God, Jesus says every intention of us being able to say, like he did, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Well, that's a pretty lofty thing to say. Well, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Well, that was St. Paul. He never said, call me St. Paul. He never said, build churches in my name and make stained glass windows out of me. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. Well, if I'm following him as he's following Christ, eventually I should end up where he ended up. And I should be able to turn to the person behind me and say the same thing to them. That's for every single believer. Turn to Exodus chapter 32. So Moses has been up with God for 40 days, 38 days or so at this point, 39 days. And the people who are following Moses start to get restless because they don't have a relationship with the Lord for themselves, so everything that they have has come through a man. And so when the man is gone for a little while, they start to look around and go, we need something, we need someone, we need something to worship, we, we need something to fill this void. And, and they begin to get restless, and so they go to a leader, and the leader responds the way so many leaders respond, by doing what the people want rather than what the Lord is asking. And so... In 32, verse 1 says, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, Tear off the gold rings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. Then all the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took them from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. So the next day they rose early and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that, that your presence is here, Lord. Without you, there is no point in us ever gathering, God, but because you're here. We believe that our lives will be changed today. And I'm asking, God, that our hearts would be open to hear and to receive your word implanted, God, that our lives would be transformed, that we would never leave your presence, God, whether we're gathered with a many or whether we're gathered alone in your presence, Father, we would never leave your presence the same way that we came. How could we be with you and not be changed? And so I'm asking, God, that you, your presence, would change our lives today, that you would shift our thinking, that you would correct us, encourage us, that we would become more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. So Moses disappears, and suddenly the people look around, and they don't know God for themselves because when God came, they chose not to hear from him themselves, as was God's desire, and they said, Moses, you go speak to him because if we talk to him and we hear him, we're going to die. 
they chose to have a man go between God and them rather than actually hear from the Lord himself, even though Moses told them, God wants to speak to you yourselves. They chose and they said, don't let that happen, Moses. You go talk to God because if he speaks to us, we're going to die. And so God does what the people asks and he speaks to Moses. That's the dangerous thing about asking God for things that are outside of what God has already told you he desires. Remember when, when the prophets were leading the nations and they wanted to be like every other nation and they came to God and they said, give us a king. And God tells Samuel, he says, tell them they don't want a king. And Samuel goes to him and says, guys, you don't want a king. Trust me, it's better for you that you don't have a man ruling over you, that you would have what God has put into place. But the people demand because they want to be like everybody else. They say, give us a king. And so Samuel goes to God and God says, okay, I will give them what they're asking for. But I'm telling you, it's not going to go the way that they want it to. And God gives them what they're asking for because they're demanding something from him that goes directly against what he's already spoke. And the same thing happened with Moses and the children of Israel. Moses came and said, prepare yourselves tomorrow. God is going to come down on the mountain and he's going to meet with you. Don't touch the mountain or you will die. But he's coming to speak with you so that the fear of him may be in you that you wouldn't sin. And the people are terrified in the wrong way, and they want distance between them and God, and they want someone to stand between them. They don't want to actually hear from him themselves. They choose to have something else in between them and God rather than to be able to hear from him themselves. The problem with that is that when you have chose for your relationship with the Lord, that doesn't matter who it's through, whether it's your husband, your wife, pastor, teacher, someone on YouTube, someone on a podcast, Look, all of these things can be a blessing to you, but they are not a substitute for you having your own relationship with him and knowing him for yourself. But because they've chose to have a man be the way that they hear from God, because they've chose not to know God for themselves, but to know God through somebody else, when that somebody else isn't there, when that, when, when, what happens if you're living your life through the, the, the relationship that your wife has? What happens if your wife goes through a hard time? What are you going to do then? How can you be the one to actually be there for her if she's the one that's there for you to get to God? When that source gets cut off, if you're living through a pastor and you're living from Sunday to Sunday, or even if you're listening to stuff every single day, the minute that that goes away, the minute that that stops, if you don't know him for yourself, you're shipwrecked and lost and you'll be looking for something to worship because deep inside of all of us is a desire to worship. And so they go to him and they say, well, Moses is taking long. We don't even know what's happened to him. And they ask Aaron, whoa. <laughs> Brent's been slowly turning me up as the, no, okay. They ask Aaron to make them a God who will go before them. And here's the part that to me, when I was reading this, that stood out to me so much. Aaron says, okay, go get the earrings, the golden earrings off of your wives and your sons and your daughters. Bring them to me. I think in that moment, they had an opportunity when they put their hands on the very thing that had been a gift to them from God to remember they already had a God. They already had one who had provided for them. 
they already had one who had made the absolutely absurd happen. You remember when this happened, right? It happened in, in Exodus. It says this. Exodus 12 says, but I know that the king of Egypt will not permit you to go except under compulsion. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles, which I shall do in the midst of it. And after that, he will let you go. I will grant this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be that when you go, you will not go every-handed. Listen to this. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor and the woman who lives in her house articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing, and you will put them on your sons and daughters. Thus, you will plunder the Egyptians. Think about this. The Lord comes to them and says, hey, not only am I going to tell the man who is becoming wealthy and powerful beyond human imagination at your expense to let you go and get rid of his entire slave labor, get rid of his entire way that he's built his empire, not only am I going to make that happen, but each and every one of you, I want you to go to the woman that lives, it says, in her house. Her house. Like each slave woman was living in the home of an Egyptian and God says you go to her and you tell her to give you gold and silver and clothing and then I want you to put them on your children and this way you're going to plunder the Egyptians like that alone should have been enough for them to believe the Lord and trust God that that they could walk up to someone who has been wealthy at their expense and say hey give me your wealth In those days, they didn't have banks where they put their money. Their wealth was in their possessions. It was in their gold. It was in their silver. It was in their clothing. It was their wealth. They're like, God is saying, listen, I want you to go to them and say, hey, everything that you've taken from me and that you've got from me wrongfully, I want you to give it back to me. And the Egyptians say, oh, okay, here you go. Like that should have been a sign right there. That everything the enemy had stolen and gained at their expense, God says, go tell them you want it back and they have to give it to you because I'm going to make them. It wasn't enough just for him to take them out of Egypt and into a promised land. He was like, oh, and by the way, everything the enemy's been stealing from you and everything that he's taken from you, I want you to go and tell them that you want it back and they're going to give it to you because I'm going to make them. And so God says, hey, take the gift that I gave you. Aaron says, take the gift that God gave you and bring it to me. And this is what's crazy to me, is they make an idol that they call God out of the very gift that God gave them. And they called it God. And as I was reading and studying that, I felt the Lord speak to me and say, listen, just because something's been built with a gift that I gave doesn't mean it's me. Just because I gave the gift that allowed the thing that's made to be built doesn't mean that it's me when it's built. And yet Aaron, who is supposed to be the one that knows God, like if it it should have been stopped immediately when they came to him and said, make us a God, and Aaron should have looked at them and said, I can't make God. God made me. God made my rods sprout almond leaves and bear almonds. I can't do that on my own. How in the world could I fashion the one who caused that to happen? There's got to be somebody that knows the Lord so that when people are looking for something to worship, they don't create something with their own hands and call it God and give it to them. And yet Aaron does just that.
I wrote this down. I want to read it real quick. There are a lot of people who have been blessed by God and even enjoyed the, the fruit of obedience in a moment, but didn't allow that to lead them to relationship and intimacy with him. You think about it. They hear what the Lord says, they do what the Lord asks them to do, and they get the gold, and they get the silver, and they get the clothing. They're blessed by being obedient to something God said in a moment, yet they're content with the things that he gave rather than continuing to pursue him to know him for themselves. And so Aaron makes this golden calf, this golden bull. Why, why did he make a bull? Because that was one of the Egyptian gods. It was the god of gods to the Egyptians. And as I was studying this out, the Lord said another thing to me. He said, Roy, if people get confused or if people don't know me or if people are living off someone else's revelation, when whatever it is that they're living off of that isn't me disappears, they will always turn back to what they know and what's comfortable. So I'm pursuing the Lord and things are happening and then all of a sudden I run into something that I don't understand and it seems like God has gone away. It seems like he's quiet. I don't understand where he is. If I don't know him for myself, I'll go back to what I used to know before that. I'll go back to what's comfortable. I'll go back to what I can understand and I will go right back to something that I learned in bondage because the price of freedom is giving up my right to understand and maybe being uncomfortable for a little while. And maybe having to say, I don't know, every now and then. And so he makes this bull, and the, the, the worst thing about it is this. It's not that he says, okay, here's the God that you asked for. Here's a God. Here's a calf. Here's a statue. No, he makes this thing, and he builds an altar, and then he says this. Come, and tomorrow will be a day of sacrifice and offering to Jehovah. He uses the name of God that he had learned, the name of the Lord, that sacred name that the Jewish people wouldn't even say. He uses that name and presents this thing to them as this is Jehovah. The one who was supposed to know God of all the people there fashions something that isn't God and then calls it God and presents it to people to bow down before and to worship. And as I was studying this out, I'm like, okay, Lord, but what about today? Like, we don't have golden calves. And I felt like the Lord was saying, Roy, but there's so many versions of me that have been fashioned by human hands that people have called me and held up for people. And people are worshiping something that was, that's not me because they don't know me. And they're living through the revelation of another. And all that person has to do is tell them that this is God. And they will bow down before it and worship it. And, I, and, and, and he brought me to 1 Peter Sorry, I'm a little jumbled this morning, but he brought me to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. See, Aaron was the one whom the royal priesthood came through. Aaron should have been the one that said, listen, guys, that, that I can't make God out of gold. I can't make God. God made us. God spoke. God's the reason you have the gold that you're wanting to give me to make something for you. Like Aaron, the priest, should have stood in that place and declared to them who God really was and said, you know what? I'm not sure exactly what happened to Moses. I don't feel like I have to have an answer in this moment. So many times we feel like we have to have an answer if people are confused or people are afraid or people are hurting. And we feel like we have to have something to give them. And so if we don't know truth, we'll make up a truth and call it truth and put it in front of them because we want them to feel better because we don't want to be uncomfortable Aaron should have said you know what I don't know what happened to Moses either but I know this 
He's with God. And if he's not here, he doesn't need to be here. When he needs to be here, he'll be here. And we can't turn our back on the one who brought us this far just because we've gone a few days without hearing from him, without knowing what's going on and being confused. Listen, is he not still providing manna in the morning? Okay, then he's still the one who provides. And tomorrow morning when we wake up, there will be manna there tomorrow because God is still with us. He's still providing for us. And until God speaks, until Moses comes back, until I understand, I'm not going to give you something that you're asking for and call it God just because you want something. And we don't have golden calves these days for us to destroy. But here's the beautiful thing. Moses, the picture of a godly man, comes walking down the mountain, and right away he recognizes what's going on. Why? Because he's just been with God. It's easy for him to see when something isn't. Moses, who's just been spending time with God, sees what people are calling God and says, that's not God at all. What are you doing? And he destroys it. He actually breaks it up and melts it and grinds it into powder and then grinds it again and then puts it in the water and he makes them drink it. Just think about this, though. For the next couple days, every time they used the bathroom, they saw the thing that they thought was God. No, I'm not being crude. I'm just being honest. Like, Paul said, everything that I once held dear, I counted as dung. The thing that they counted as dear, the image that they traded God for, laying there. I know there's all kinds of teachings about why Moses did it. I'm sure there's a deeper meaning than that, but that was the thing that struck me this morning. I was like, <laughs> it's almost like the Lord wanted to remind them for a couple days afterwards. So I guess two things in closing real quick. One is this. The Bible calls the fivefold ministry gifts that Jesus gave to the church. Pastors, teachers, prophets, evangelists, apostles, they're gifts. They're not to be worshiped. We don't take something that's a gift and make that thing God and worship that and try to have a revelation of God through that thing alone. Those things are gifts that are meant to lead us to him so that we can know him for ourselves. And it talks about spiritual gifts. They're a gift from God, why? To build the kingdom of heaven, not to build our own kingdom. And sometimes people take a gift that God's given them and they make a God out of it and they build something that's not God at all. How do we know? What was the one thing that Moses had that they didn't? He'd been with God. He comes down from being with God. He sees something that's being presented as God that was filled with gifts that God gave. And he looks at it and says, that's not God. And so I just want to encourage us, like, let the gifts be gifts. But please don't be the, let them be the way that you have relationship with the Father. Be encouraged by them, be spurred on by them, be fed and be, be, be sharpened by them, but please don't let them be the way that you live 
with your relationship to the Father. Let your godly spouse be an encouragement. Let them be uh, someone that spurs you on, but please don't let them be your connection to the Father. Don't live your life through God by somebody else around you. Because the problem is, is when that person goes away, and they will go away, and here's the thing, God led Moses away. It wasn't evil. God led Moses away because he had something he wanted to talk to Moses about. And if you're putting your faith in anything other than him, if you're living your life and your relationship is based on anything other than your relationship with him by the spirit of God in you and knowing him through his word and through worship, through revelation by the spirit of God, you can be encouraged by all those things. But if you don't have your own personal intimate relationship with him, when the thing that you're living through goes away and it will go away if it needs to for a time to expose what your connection to God is, you'll be like the children of Israel looking for someone to show you what God looks like. And then worshiping something that isn't really him because you don't know him. I, I'm not saying that to like scare you. I'm saying like, guys, now is the time to like literally let the Lord strip away everything and ask myself, like, if it wasn't for him, if it wasn't for her, if it wasn't for any of these people, would I be okay? Not do I want that, but would I be okay if nobody else was around? Could I go to him and be with him? And do I know him the way that he can be known, the way he wants to be known? And be honest about that. And if the answer is no, then there's, there's, there's one answer to that. That's to go to him. Just say, God, I've, I've, I've built my life on other things. Because here's the problem. Whatever we call God is what we present to the world as God. So when Aaron said, behold your God, all the people said, that's God. And nowadays, we're called the royal priesthood. We're supposed to be the ones that hold up and say, this is what God is like. We better make sure that what we're holding up for people to see when we hold him up is actually God and not something we've fashioned with our hands even if it was built by a gift from heaven. And then the second thing is this. I think that in an effort to try to explain things to people, to try to say, well, why didn't this happen? Or if, then how come? We have removed the need for the Holy Spirit to a large extent from the life of the believer. And I don't think with evil intentions, I, I just think that sometimes when we don't understand things, rather than saying, I don't understand, we try to come up with a theology in the absence of knowledge. When, when, we, when we don't see things happen, rather than having the humility to say, I don't know why, but I can't deny what he said in his word, we try to come up with a theology that makes it easy for us to understand, rather than contending, rather than growing, rather than being humble. And I think that, that we have removed, to some extent, the need for the Spirit of God like we could have a church service with or without him. 
don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. I understand nobody comes unless the Spirit of God draws them. I'm not talking about that, but I'm saying, like, we, we, we've become good at doing things rather than actually being filled by Him and relying on Him and being led by Him. Like, we could live our Christian life and have no need for the spiritual giftings that He talks about in His Word if we're not careful and reduce Christianity down to things that anybody can do on their own rather than actually having to rely on him and saying, you know what, God, I know that you're calling me to this and I know what Jesus' life looked like, but I can't do that without you. I need you and actually being in need of the Spirit of God in our lives. Like if we can live our lives and we don't need the things that Jesus needed when he said, follow me, like, just be honest. Like, like, how many times have we looked at what Jesus did in the Word and, and, and thought to ourselves, oh, yeah, I could do that. Or, even worse, we've reduced it down to something that we can do through human effort rather than saying, you know what? Like, if Jesus needed these giftings in his life and he said, follow me, there's a good chance I'm going to need them as well. If he needed to be anointed by the Spirit so that he could actually live the life that he lived, I can't follow him without that same anointing. We've not become such wise communicators with the Word that we can actually preach the gospel more effectively than Jesus did, that we have no need for the demonstration of God's love that Jesus needed. I promise you. We've not found a better way of loving people that has removed the need that Jesus had for demonstrating the love of God through the signs and wonders that confirmed the preaching of the Word. I mean, I'm not saying this in condemnation. I'm saying, like, guys, like, come on. Like, like it, it, it says that, that signs and wonders went forth and confirmed the preaching of the word. I, I'm not saying let's pray for signs and wonders. I'm saying let's get a gospel that when we preach it, God looks from heaven and says, I have to do something to make people know that that's true because that's truth, and I have to confirm that. But we also have to actually be open to our need and aware of our need for the spirit of God and for his anointing. I only know one formula, so I just want us to do this real quick. I just want everyone to stand. There's only one requirement, that you're born again. If you're not born again, come find one of our prayer servants at the end of service, and they would love to pray with you about and talk to you about what it looks like to surrender your life to Jesus and become a new creation and begin to follow him. But if you're born again in this place, then there's one formula that Jesus gave us. I mentioned it earlier. He said this. He said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts, how much more will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit if you would just ask? And you can say, well, I, I was filled with the Spirit, and I actually moved in this and that. That's awesome, but it's a continual filling. The disciples were continually being filled. That word filled there is be being filled. It was a continual thing. There was an, always a need. If you haven't needed that in a long time, it's because you haven't been in a place where you've needed God to move like that. It's not because God doesn't want it to flow anymore. It's because there's no outlet for it. You've become a spiritual pond rather than a river. That's not something to be proud of. Our lives should be lived in a way that we need the power of God in our life every single day because every single day we walk face to face with the power of darkness. Amen. I promise you, every single day, we're going to find people that are hurting, we're going to find people that are addicted, we're going to find people that are bound, we're going to find people that are lost, and every single day we're going to need the power of God to flow through us the way it flowed through Jesus. 
So let's just be obedient to what his word said. And, and, and not just saying, okay, we're going to say magic words and God's going to do a magic thing. No, by faith, saying, God, you said, and, and, and you said, if we ask, that you would give. And so, Father, we're asking in faith, believing that you will honor your word and that you will give the Holy Spirit to those of us that ask. And for anyone here that's worried that if you ask him to give you the Spirit, he's, you're going to get some weird thing or some demon or something like that, like people have preached to try to scare, that's straight from hell. He said, if, if your child asked you for a, for a loaf of bread, you wouldn't give him a stone. If he asked you for a fish, you wouldn't give him a scorpion. You wouldn't give him a snake. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, if you ask your father for the Holy Spirit, you don't have to worry he's going to give you something that's harmful or something that's evil. He's going to give you exactly what you asked for, which is his Spirit. And so, Father, I'm just praying right now that your spirit would come and fill us afresh, Father. God, we repent for living our lives in a way that was devoid of the need of your power, of settling for a gift and worshiping a gift rather than actually knowing you, Father, that we have ever settled for living our lives and our relationship with you through other people, even anointed men and women of God, that we have exchanged the glory of the creator for the thing that he has created. And Father, we're just saying right now, we need you. We need to know you for ourselves. We need to have relationship with you, Father. We don't want to live distant from you and have someone else speak to us on your behalf. God, we want to stand face to face like Moses did and behold your glory. We want to know you as you can be known. We don't want to wait until we get to heaven to experience what we could now. Jesus said this is eternal life, that they would know you, the one true God, and believe in your son Jesus whom you sent. And so Father, we're just asking that everything that's possible and available here on earth now, that we would experience it, that we would walk in it. And we're putting our faith, not in our faith, God, we're putting our faith in you, your goodness, and your word. And so we're asking right now, Father, would you come and fill us afresh with your spirit? Would you let him fall on us and rest on us, God, that, that he would mark our lives, that we would live with an awareness of the Spirit of God upon us and in us, maybe in a way that we never have before, that we would see that everything we need for life and godliness has been given to us through the knowledge of your Son and through the Spirit of God, whom you've sent, who's both in us and upon us. And Father, would you right now fall afresh on us? Would you come and fill us? to overflow, God, so that we're walking around looking for somewhere because we've got so much of you, we've got to give it away. God, that we're looking for a place that that river can flow, that we're not walking around timidly thinking, well, if somebody dips their bucket in my pond, maybe they'll get a sip. We're looking around and saying, where's a dry place because there's something inside of me that can flow out and touch it. His name is Jesus. And Father, we just pray right now that we would never exchange you for things that you've created, even good things, even gifts that we would never build something that isn't you and call it you. That we would know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, listen, don't leave here and just go, oh, awesome, we did that. Like, that should be our prayer constantly. Father, fill me. Father, fall on me. Father, bless. Give, I need your spirit. Father, would you come and fill me? Because we should constantly be pouring out. We should constantly need to be filled. If you have no need to be filled, it's because there's nothing being poured out. Start looking for opportunities where the spirit of God wants to move through your life and believing that he wants to use you and letting what's in you flow out of you. We're going to pray for some people real quick. First, um, uh, Luke and Savannah, if you guys are here. Luke and Savannah Black are... We, we talked about it, Luke talked about it, and he and Savannah talked about what they're doing, but they're heading to Africa. They have a uh, nonprofit called Hands of Hope. They're going there to educate and teach teachers. They're going there to uh, continue to build the orphanage. They're going there to continue to do what God's called them to do. And we hate to lose them. They are the kind of people you want at your church. Not that you aren't, I'm saying we're all that way, right? 
But man, like, they, they just serve and give and love, and, and they're so kind, and they've been so amazing and so gracious with their time and their talents, and, 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 and we're partnering with them as a church, and if you want to partner with them personally, you can go to handsofhopeus.com. There's a way there that you can sow into Luke and Savannah. They're living there. Listen, they're not going over there. Nobody goes over and gives their life to something like this because they're going to get rich. If you guys were, go sit back down. <laughs> They're going because they, the love of God is compelling them to go, because they experienced something and they saw how they could tangibly meet needs in this country and see lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus. And they're going there to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. They're going there to preach sight to the blind and to bring the kingdom of heaven everywhere they go. So we're going to pray over them. Uh, Pastor Dale and Donna are here. If you guys would come up, and, and I'd love for you to join me in laying hands on them. Pastor Dale is my pastor, and he's also the pastor that brought Luke and Savannah here. Um, and we're so thankful to have them here today. And so I'd love for them to join us as we pray over them and bless them as they go. Father, we just thank you for Luke and Savannah's lives laid down. We thank you, God, that everything they need has been given to them through the knowledge of your son, Jesus. I thank you for the spirit of God that's in them and upon them, anointing them to preach the good news that the blind would see, the lame would walk, declaring the favorable year of our Lord and the kingdom of God has come. And so, Father, I pray that you would go before them and prepare everything they need, that you come behind them and do all the things they didn't think to, Father, that you're their rear guard. I thank you, God, that, that as they walk everywhere their feet land is blessed because your kingdom is there and because you're inside of them. God, I thank you that they're going with no need of their own, but because they feel they have something to give. I thank you that they always have more than they need, God, that they're now ever just barely scraped by in any way, God, physically, emotionally financially, but most of all spiritually, God, that they're never ground thin and worn out and barely scraping by, that they are the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. They are blessed in the city and blessed in the field, blessed as they come, God, and blessed as they go. And I pray, Father, that everywhere that they go, your kingdom would come, your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Bless them, keep them, hold them, guide them. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.